Welcome, everybody. I'm clinical psychologist Dr. Steve Thayer, and this is Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers, the podcast devoted to exploring the frontiers of psychedelic medicine and mental health. My co-host is Dr. Reed Robison. Reed is a psychiatrist and a seasoned psychedelic researcher and clinician. Today, Reed and I are joined by Derek Moody again. Derek is a physician's assistant with extensive experience in the use of ketamine to treat a variety of mental health conditions. In this episode, we take on the topic of psychedelic trip-sitting. We discuss whether or not there is a meaningful difference between trip-sitting, guiding, and harm reduction. We outline important aspects of effective trip-sitting and talk about how context and setting affects what one does as a trip-sitter. We also tackle the somewhat controversial issue of whether or not trip sitters and guides should be required to experience altered states before acting in those roles. Please enjoy. All right. Reed, Derek, welcome back. Thank you. Excited to be here. Today, we're going to talk about trip sitting in a variety of contexts, both in the formal clinical context, um, perhaps the, the informal uh, some might call it recreational context or the festival context. We just want to talk about the factors that contribute to effective trip sitting. And I think an inter- interesting place to start is to discuss the difference between or discuss whether or not there's a difference between what we're calling trip sitting, guiding, and uh, harm reduction mm-hmm. in psychedelic use space. So I'll pitch it to you guys. Uh, let's start with, do you think there is a difference in those three categories? I think so. I'll jump in here. Yeah. I think uh, guiding is more of a therapeutic process that takes some added uh, experience, skills, kind of mentorship and specific approaches, modalities. Like typical, Typically, it would be in the realm of psychotherapists although i recognize that there are very skilled experienced psychedelic guides out there but even zendo's harm reduction approach that we you know we all know well they say um what do they say sitting not guiding and Mm -hmm. so i see trip sitting and harm reduction as one category of holding safe space very important and the guide needs to do that too but then you have guiding to uh facilitate that under inner healing intelligence and and the process yeah and if any, if any of the listeners aren't familiar with the zendo project zendoproject.org it's uh what is it an arm of the maps yeah. organization yeah their harm reduction yeah. arm yeah and they have uh it traditionally sprung out of a burning man tent mm-hmm. they've been there for several years running and uh both training people in in zendo principles harm reduction principles but also offering support for people having difficult psychedelic experiences right yeah which i think they're they're sitting not guiding uh, emerges out of the kind of support that they have become accustomed and known for giving at festivals like burning man right yeah and the tents at this point you know maybe not here in 2020 2021 because we haven't been having festivals due to covid but um I think Zendo was was putting down harm reduction tents and support tents uh, at a lot of different festivals across the world. Mm-hmm. Good resources on the website if anybody's interested. Um, how about you, Derek? Well, so the so the question behind the question mm-hmm. is: so what if you're going to go on a psychedelic journey? 
what do you need to pack along with you or who do you need to pack along with you and you know the, the support component to that uh, being more in the clinical setting uh, you kind of can look at this from okay what's my role as a provider and sometimes I'm there guiding people sometimes I am just sitting with people and I think just as a general principle, when you look at most of psychology, it's just a matter of breaking down things, giving things names. So if you have a separate role and name for someone who's just sitting with somebody as opposed to someone that's guiding, I think it's appropriate depending on the context that we're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that when people are first starting treatments, they need a lot more guidance, maybe a lot more preparation and, and being with them. And then once someone has a little bit more experience, it's nicer as a provider to be able to just step back because that's where we're trying to get people to to that point. Yeah. I think if the average person Googles, you know, how to trip sit my buddy who's decided he wants to do LSD, um, you're going to see blending of what we're calling guides and trip sitters and the advice that you find online. Um, and I think some of there is even the way we're trying to, to delineate these two categories, there's some overlap between the kind of skills you'd want to have or the things you would want to do as an effective trip sitter um, versus an effective therapeutic guide. You know, the, you think? another way I look at it is the police force gets trained in de-escalation mm-hmm. uh, because that's so important or in an emergency room setting. In fact, uh, coming into the psychedelic work I relied heavily on my experience and what I learned working as a psychiatrist in hospital settings, ER settings, and then doing the work in psychedelic medicine has greatly informed and enhanced my skills in de-escalation and dealing with agitation in general. Mm -hmm. So that I'd say that's part of it is, or the prerequisite level one uh, of this process would be how to hold safe space uh, as a prerequisite for getting into any kind of guiding. Right. So like for you, what would be the, the main distinguishing difference between trip sitting guide? I think it's in the, in the word guide, you know, like kind of like Reed was alluding to earlier as a, as a therapeutic guide, we have a, maybe a, th- a theory of therapeutic change. So we're bringing a philosophy to how people get sick and how people get well um, to the psychedelic experience. We're probably more involved in that preparation phase than, than a trip sitter might be. Um, and both the, the preparation of the setting, you know, uh, but also the preparation of the mindset of the individual going through the experience. Um, and then we're probably going to offer more interpretation and guidance during the experience. I think the advice for trip sitters and guides is get out of the way of the medicine, let the inner healing intelligence take center stage and do the Mm -hmm. majority of the work. But I think as a guide, especially for somebody who you've identified has a particular problem and that's what's bringing them to psychedelics in the first place. Yeah. You're keeping that in mind, right? As a guide. And so if something emerges during the psychedelic experience that you know is tied to the, their problem, then maybe you can give a little bit of guidance uh, prompt a little bit during the experience. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're a trip sitter, you're going to make sure they're well hydrated. You're going to make sure they're safe. Um, If they do say something, you're going to hold their hand. You're going to say, you know, interesting, curious, but you're not going to offer a lot of interpretation. That's kind of the way I think about it. Yeah. And in, in uh, 
ayahuasca retreat settings, for example, like when I go there as medical support, I might be doing therapy on the off days, preparation before, but it's the shaman, the ayahuasca medicine team that's doing the guiding in ceremony, mm-hmm. you know, and the guiding could be, could be very hands off. They just know the medicine and they know how to help you navigate it as it comes up where you have your other roles. Like I was on puke bucket support, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. and shining a black light to make sure there weren't scorpions in people's shoes as they went to the bathroom or something right. like that. Um, but, uh, Another another example would be uh, I was at a party once, a, a friend's birthday party. And, you know, everyone knows I'm a psychiatrist or what I do. So someone comes running for me because apparently there were a few people who took LSD for the first time, like mm. from who knows where, and smoked a joint. Mm. And there were people like freaking out and throwing up right and left. There were at least three at the same time. And they weren't going there to be guided. They weren't doing this medicine, probably even with an intention. It was probably a, sure, why not? Or what's that? Mm. Um, And then their world got rocked. Um, And so in that setting, I was just holding space, um, you know, comfort, water, Mm -hmm. (laughs) hydration, getting other kind of warm, compassionate bodies to uh, offer that presence for them as they went through that. Yeah. I like that that difference. Uh, you know, a guide holds space and guides, perhaps. A trip sitter, not so much guidance, but holding space is one of the things that they would have in common with a guide. And holding space, it's a phrase that's used, you know, in uh, in therapy circles of all types and maybe means different things depending on who you talk to. But I think uh, at its foundation, it's creating a, an environment of emotional safety, non-judgment, and physical safety, especially in that case when people are yeah. you know, in this realm of altered state of consciousness and puking their guts out. So is there a particular setting or situation where guidance is more preferable as opposed to just space? Like, How would you kind of place uh, setting scenarios into those categories. Who needs more guidance? Who needs yeah. more just space holding? Our ketamine room, guiding. Therapy rooms, guiding. The nightclub, uh, <laughs> harm reduction. <laughs> right. Hold safe space if someone uh, starts freaking out. I, I heard this other story the other day from uh, a friend who was talking about his one and only and big memorable LSD experience mm-hmm. uh, years ago, but he was at a concert, took a whopping dose, and uh, lost his grounding, lost touch with reality completely to the point where, you know, everyone was horses in the room, and he was like a cow, and then he ended up like peeing in the middle of the floor of the concert. Mm. <laughs> and so that's the kind of setting where, he needed some harm reduction or right. some uh, trip sitting. Well, just like the advice that we give to people during the initial treatment, like when I have, okay, you're going to get your ketamine treatment today. I'm prepping the person getting the psychedelic. If you have a bad experience, you just need to try your best to let go and not fight against it. So it's as if that same principle is exactly true for the person in the room with them. You know, as a provider, if someone's really, really struggling, 
then it's if you try to resist that struggle as a guide, actually make it make it worse. That's why when you're mentioning these scenarios where it's like, oh man, things are looking totally wild right now. Now's not the time to come in with a hammer and just be like, I'm taking control of the situation because that's that's not what that's not the advice you give to them as a patient or a person going through the psychedelic in that moment, nor should it be the guidance you give to someone trying to get them out of that. That's the situation where you just want to also try and let things flow, take a step back, be willing to just sit with the uncomfortable place right. with them, really. Because, yeah, being being on the other side of that as well as a provider, those are uncomfortable seeing that in a provider setting when somebody's freaking out or screaming or just it's doing something wild and unpredictable. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's frightening. Yeah, I think, you know, what you're saying is a good segue into uh, maybe talking more specifically about the things that we can do as guides and trip sitters um, that facilitate the healing process. Like what are, what are some good, what's a good skill set for a guide and or a trip sitter to have? Well, something Derek mentioned, I really like, it's an example of what I was alluding to, uh, on the topic of the skills that I picked up in general psychiatry work and apply a lot in psychedelic work is, you know, paying attention to your presence, your energy, and what you bring into that space. Um, Because, for example, when I worked in ER and psych ward settings, if security was called to someone who's, say, having a, you know, a psychotic reaction after taking meth or a psychotic break with schizophrenia or just a severe panic with agitation, uh, if security guards came in with their... uh, you know, with a typical approach of like, you better quiet down, that just escalated the situation. So, or, and some nurses had that delicate touch. Uh, some were still learning that. So sometimes they'd give me the uh, injection of Haldol and be like, well, you try. Cause I was getting this reputation as a, they would sometimes say people whisper or whatever, just cause I didn't bring into it a big, uh, dominating presence, I would just go and sit there mm-hmm. and spend some time and let the energy calibrate between us. And, you know, I might have a injection in my pocket that, you know, they could see and I'm not blocking the door and we're just, we're just there, two humans on this journey. And like, we may or may not get to this shot, but uh, I'm here to help you figure it out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, What you just said speaks volumes to the value of seeing people and of, and and the value of being seen. And I think that's a really important part of the trip sitters or the guides role is to come in there with um, having taken care of your own stuff, whatever that is, so that there isn't an, an energetic or an emotional contagion effect. And if they're going to feel anything from you, like you described in your story, Reed, it's they're going to feel calm, calmness emanating from you. They're going to feel respect, um, respect for what you're going through and for who you are. And they're yeah. going to they're going to feel like you see them, and you're not uh, you're not dangerous to them, both physically because you're not the cops trying to restrain them and inject them with something necessarily, but you're also not emotionally or spiritually dangerous to them. Because you, you're seeing them without judgment, without criticism, without ridicule. And when you're in an altered state of consciousness, 
uh, you're so raw. You're just an exposed nerve, yeah. an exposed soul that uh, safety is everything to you. So movie moment. So as mm-hmm. you guys are describing these scenarios, I'm thinking you. Lord of the Rings, <laughs> Two Towers, mm. Helm's Deep, and you just have the the first time watching that was like so epic, right? In the movie theaters, and you can just see the forces out there, and you're standing there alone in the rain with your little spear. There's like a million orc or urukai coming at you, mm-hmm. and if I was standing there alone by myself, that would be the most devastating picture I could imagine, right? Staring into the void, staring right into the monster, the the army by yourself. Like the one thing that I could think of that could transform that moment more than anything is teleport my best friend right next to me. Mm. I'm probably still screwed, but (laughs) my I can tell you the whole experience, my attitude, and the energy changes quite a bit. And so you mentioned, you know, the power of being seen. I would say and add to that just the power of presence. You know, so when you're trying to figure out what do you do in these moments. You don't come in, as Reed was saying, you don't have to come in with this alternative agenda. I'm going to rescue you or I'm going to do something. It's I'm just going to be and be with you. Mm-hmm. And in in the moment of utmost devastation, I, I really believe that that is you, you, we don't want, you wouldn't ask for anything more. And I've seen that with patients when they're like screaming and I, I just come in and I'll just say, hey, I'm here. I can hold your hand. And and they will then say back to me, like, it made such a difference to know someone else was there. Yeah. And, and you see that all the time, I'm sure, just in pure basic therapy 101 principles. It's completely different to just be depressed and suffering by yourself, but now to know, like, someone's in my circle with me. Yeah, yeah you should never underestimate the power of a supportive other in being able to get to the other side mm-hmm. of a difficult experience, for sure. This idea of co-regulation. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's a type of therapy that exists in Utah. I haven't tried it, but I'd love to. It's Mustang therapy where you actually go chest to chest, heart to heart with a Mustang horse. It's kind of a wild one, and you co-regulate your nervous systems. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've seen that time and time again in the psychedelic work, in mental health in general, and in life of uh, just what we can do to either uh, calm each other or ramp each other up. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and maybe even a substitute term for co-regulate, you could just use the term co-mindful because mindful and all the principles that are involved there, you can basically just take that and say, now it's not just one person. You as two separate beings can also be mindful in the same moment together and to try and get there. And there are neurological foundations Mm. for how we co-regulate. You know, I know that there's some controversy around what mirror neurons are or if Mm -hmm. they even exist. I was listening to Andrew Huberman on his podcast talk about this morning, but um, there's something going on there where we see somebody else lift a pen and the, you know, the neurons that fire in our own mind when we lift a pen will fire. So there's something going on, neurologically, energetically, spiritually, emotionally, um, when we're in the presence of another person. And I've always thought of it as uh, contagion, but I know that that has sort of a negative connotation. So there, but there's a, there's a transfer, and I like, I like mm-hmm. the phrase co-regulation um, with, uh, our, when we're in each other's space. Yeah, sure. it is. Uh, we are energetic beings. I sometimes think of us as atoms colliding and there's a chemical reaction every time two 
distinct beings crash into one another. And that can be an exciting, positive thing. It can be a calming thing. But, uh, but I think it brings up this point of we should check ourselves going into a situation of trip sitting or guiding or harm reduction and what is the energy that we're bringing in Mm -hmm. take that moment to return to a mindful presence and then go in and and uh we can breathe with them and settle down there hyperventilating for example Mm -hmm. i like the term energy that's like the most universal all-encompassing term that we can have right like from a phenomenological perspective just what do human beings experience energy is good there's good physiological components to energy and good spiritual components to that. So mm-hmm. as you're, if I was giving advice to someone who's going to be a trip sitter or a guide, trying to understand energy, I think that's a, a really good common ground for most people and say, okay, what's the energy that this person's experiencing at this moment? And can I go in there and try and share with that? Right. Now, we should say you don't have to be a spiritual ubermensch in order to be uh, a guide or a trip sitter. You know, you don't have to be perfect or to have all of your shit figured out. But um, you at least have seen the Star Wars movies and understand the, the basics of the Force. Or, right? or the Lord <laughs> of the Rings, or, apparently, right? Or Harry Potter. Anything that involves magic, <laughs> unseen force, I'm down. Um, but yeah, like we're all wounded. We are all imperfect. But if you have a good sense because of your own work that you've done, the way energy flows through you, the way you get triggered or activated, so that so that you can distinguish or discern between um, you know the the person you're with, their stuff, and your own stuff, then you're going to be able to to hold that safe space we've been talking about. It's a lot more challenging if you haven't done that work, which to me brings up another interesting point of discussion. Um, if you're going to be a guide or a trip sitter. Do you guys think it's important that you have your own experience with an altered state of consciousness, whether that's through, you know, psychedelic compounds or something like uh, holotropic breath work or, uh, you know, tumor breathing or something like that? What, what do you think? That's a good one. Yeah. I know I know that there is a debate out there. It's controversial. So, yeah. So I'll take a second Put, put Reed on the spot and yeah, say, yeah, what, what's, you probably already this. pre-chewed on this. I, I've i chewed have, a little have, and then I, I was like, opinion. oh, this is a little, yeah. this is a steak here. I gotta. I've chewed on it lots and yeah. been asked the question countless times. Um, and what I've landed on at this stage anyway is that it's extremely helpful, but not absolutely essential. Yeah, right? not exclusionary. Like, like, I mean, you can't be an ayahuasca shaman without getting to know ayahuasca as a medicine. But if you were a peyote shaman, you're going to know a lot of good principles. Um, If you've done breath work and had a transformative, uh, non-ordinary state of consciousness, then you have another sense of how it goes. And if you look at the training programs, Canada, they're approving therapists now to get psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy so they can help others, a limited number. MAPS has an IRB-approved healthy normal study that they put their MDMA therapists through so they experience MDMA. But that's not going to scale to the needs of prescribable MDMA. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there will be this ongoing discussion, and I think it depends on the individual. But uh, certainly doing your work, I think, is extremely important. Perhaps the best, maybe, this may resolve it all, if, you, if I can turn to and cite Happy Gilmore mm-hmm. as, an, as an example, 
where you know your experience playing hockey may actually make you good at playing golf mm. so <laughs> i think after hearing reed say that my heart of hearts is kind of going like yes i agree that it would be helpful and to have some of that real experience but if you played hockey and you've got a lot of groundwork and like psychotherapy and mindfulness and just good communication interaction and and some of those basic principles you can carry that over into golf and right. still win <laughs> i like where you went with that derek i was expecting it's all in the hips and i was like <laughs> how is that going to apply i mean the hips are important but hips are important <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know there are some people who are going to be listening to this or watching this who have strong opinions about this who are going to be mad at us for coming to any other conclusion than Yes, you should have an experience with that medicine if you're going to guide them through that medicine. Not just an experience with any old psychedelic. It needs to be with that particular medicine. And I think that's a compelling argument for some medicines, and generally it's, it's a compelling argument. I don't know that the, the argument is as uh, settled and reached any kind of global consensus. But um, I and think, not for guiding. Like I don't think right. it applies. I mean, for guiding, I think it's more important than for Trips harm reduction. Yeah. That's a good distinction. Well, you'd, and the one thing that's definitely everyone can agree on is you need an understanding, and these are complex. And so, if you you shouldn't approach it casually, mm-hmm. like you can do some homework, uh, you can learn about them, you can watch about them. It's one of the reasons why we're doing this whole podcast is to right. expand the general understanding around this because maybe not everyone has an opportunity, not maybe not everyone wants the opportunity to go down into the rabbit hole. And so is, you know, for those types of people, it may be nice to say, well, I'd still like to be able to help any way that I can. And I, you know, I think speaking of experience, we do have some providers here who help people with ketamine and have not had any psychedelic experience. But because of their training they've had with psychotherapeutic principles, they're great. Patients will say that they're great, say that they're helpful. And, And so at least, again, if I'm citing just clinical evidence, like there are there's definitely people who have been benefited from people who have not had that experience and, exactly. and have been able to help. Yeah, that's a yeah. good point. A good therapist brings a lot to the table. Like a trained, mm-hmm. licensed mental health provider brings a lot to the table, and you add some psychedelic-specific training to their tool bag, and um, I think they have a lot to offer, even if they haven't had a personal experience with an altered state of consciousness. Yeah, I remember uh, at a MAPS conference back in... 2019 tim ferris did a live interview with marcella odolora one of the lead maps mdma trainers and uh a quote stuck out to me that she said i even uh took notes on twitter while i was in the meeting and tim ferris retweeted it Um, (laughs) but it uh it was you can only um hold someone else's suffering if you're not afraid of your own mm. or something along those lines mm. or and we talk about this in our clinician training is you can only take someone as deep as you've gone yourself doesn't mean it has to be psychedelically deep from mm. this path up this mountain with this medicine but it means that you know the depth of your shadow work or your personal mm. um explorations and flexibility and presence right you know? And having been there, wherever there is, um, I know it's important to a lot of the people who seek help from a guide or a trip sitter or a therapist, knowing that that, uh, you have some lived experience, some embodied experience with what it's like to suffer or what it's like to overcome suffering is really important. 
I experienced this a lot with the veteran community, the military veteran community. I'm an Air Force veteran myself. And when, when uh, my clients who are veterans who have combat trauma or military-related trauma find out that I am a vet, it completely changes the way they interact. Yeah. And opens them up in ways that it's really hard for them to open up with somebody who doesn't have that shared experience. So it's, uh, I think it can be really, really important for a lot of people. But like you said, Reed, I don't think it's exclusionary criteria for somebody working with psychedelic medicine. Yeah. In this example, you're finding that common ground with someone that shared humanity, uh, seeing them mm -hmm. in a very powerful way, like flip a switch on, they get it. And that's, uh, that's an important thing in distress and mental health and suffering in general is uh, someone's feeling hopeless, panicked, like it's the end of the world, which is a common feeling during a... Uh, psychedelic emergency or right. psycho-spiritual crisis on those kind of medicines. Um, but if we can get in there and show them they're not alone in it and instill in them just a little bit of confidence and safety and trust that this is going to pass. We're going to get through this together to the other side. The sun's going to come up mm -hmm. and life's going to go on. And who knows, you may even be better off because of it. So let's do this. Yeah. Well, and that... As you're saying, that's a lot of the old Brene Brown is popping in my head with her, uh, the things that she's written about and spoken about on vulnerability. And and that's a good way of trying to identify what it means to hold space with somebody that if you're the person that's going to go in there, remember that you have to be, make yourself vulnerable to that same experience, make yourself vulnerable to to really opening yourself up to what they're feeling and experiencing and yeah. if it's fear, if it's sadness, if it's, if it's pain, you have to be vulnerable enough to allow yourself to feel some of that yourself. Because if you don't, if you hold back, you're not going to yeah. be able to get there and reach them. Yeah, and in other cultures, that's more commonplace to get in someone's suffering with them and, and distress. And another thing your Brene Brown comment makes me think of, and I've never drawn the connection before, she talks about this marble jar of trust marbles mm. and as we go into a uh, holding space environment it might help to think of what little ways can we add marbles to the marble jar of trust like oh i'm going to f find this shared common ground in our humanity or on our journeys or i'm yeah. going to um you know make sure i'm extra calm and um and send them some love add another marble or two yeah you know? At your comment also, Derek, reminded me of uh, a, a quote I posted on my Instagram yesterday that I read, um, and I forget who to attribute it to. You'll have to go to my Instagram to find <laughs> out, Dr. Steve Thayer. Um, but it's something like deep listening is an act of courage because um, you might be changed by what you hear. Hmm. So I, I think it's adding a marble of trust to that jar when we actually listen deeply in a vulnerable way, opening ourselves up to this person because we're not robots, you know, therapists uh, aren't and guides and, and professional helpers aren't robots. We're affected, at least I am, I'll speak for myself, affected by what I hear. So um, it's sort of in that bucket of being seen. I think people really appreciate the vulnerability, genuineness, authenticity of a guide or a trip sitter who's, who's really showing up for them in that space. Well, and right at the middle of the storm, you could take it, for example, something like suicidal ideations, right? 
the the typical average person out in the world re- would respond to something like suicidal ideations as no no life is definitely worth living isn't it mm-hmm. look here's all the great things as opposed to allowing yourself to be vulnerable to the sincere question posed by the sufferer you know i am suffering so much that i don't even know if life is worth living mm-hmm. and for me to be vulnerable enough to hear that i have to really let go of my presupposed notion that life is worth living no matter what because I know everything mm-hmm. and be able to try and open myself into the world of this other person where they're experiencing something. We could just generally call it this degree of suffering that's bringing that question. I have to be vulnerable enough to let go of my presupposed notions. Right. It's that uh, Zendo principle of through, not down. And, uh, we're not trying to fix it. We're not trying to, and that can be highly invalidating if we do. Mm-hmm. It uh, reminds me of the emotion-focused therapy principles of validate, validate, validate. Like, oh, I can understand why you feel that way. And in, in a psychedelic crisis or harm reduction situation, if someone's saying, I see all these scary aliens over there, if you just say, those aren't real or no, you don't, (laughs) I don't, Mm -hmm. uh, that's counterproductive, right? Right. Instead of, um, getting in there with them, you know, you don't have to pretend you see the aliens, but, Mm -hmm. but you also don't want to dismiss their experience. Well, just hear their story and understand it. Uh, no one came up to Thanos and just said, Hey, Hey, this story doesn't, this is not real. Thanos does not really exist. (laughs) Telling that to the Avengers. It's like, no, that's their story. That's where they're at right now. This is a real and legitimate problem. And that's where they're at. And so you, you have to kind of work within the boundaries that the individual is setting on you and not go and throw your own boundaries onto them. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. If there's any, if there's going to be any conversation about, um, you know, whether or not what you're experiencing is helpful or healthy, that's going to come during sort of an integration session with a guide. But while they're in the experience seeing the aliens, I think like Reed said, you don't want to jump in there and be like, no, 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 those aren't aliens. Um, Unless you think as a guide uh, that their distress is taking them down instead of through, then you might just say, I'm here. You're safe. You're on LSD, you know, (laughs) you're on mushrooms and, and then, you know, safe, supportive touch. We've had people in the ketamine space, um, you know, you talk to them beforehand what safe, supportive, appropriate touch looks like. You make an agreement, and then it's on offer, and it's usually a handhold or on our, a hand on the shoulder. And we've had people for whom that hand has become their anchor and has helped them move through a challenging experience, making that experience transformative um, instead of destructive. Because psychedelics aren't panaceas, right? Non, we call them non-specific amplifiers. Sometimes these experiences can be disruptive in a, in a negative way. So, as a guide or a trip sitter, supporting um, in that way, I think, is appropriate. What what other principles of guidance would you say are appropriate? Because a lot of the, you know, I, I see this as kind of the um, the old chaos order balance. A guide has a lot more to to bring and direct. The trip sitting is much mm-hmm. more passive and just let things flow. So um, where most of the discussion has been on this, okay, let, let things flow. Here's how to do that. What what would be some appropriate things you can do to guide somebody along the way? I mean, you just mentioned some. Maybe yeah. you have some I'm well. trying to think of general things because there, there are probably going to be some specific interventions that a guide might use that are specific to their 
the theoretical approach that they're taking to the medicine or, you know, uh, a, a generational shaman in the Amazon working with ayahuasca might guide in a different way than a MAPS trained MDMA psychotherapist guides. Yeah. You know, there might be You were approaches. asking about guiding principles, not trip sitting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because in trip sitting, we've talked about like talking, well, through, not down. Mm-hmm. And there, another one would be there aren't bad trips, just difficult experiences. Mm-hmm. Or uh, you could look at it with set, setting, drug. Like paying attention to the, you know, the mindset going in, the physical setting. Um, right. And then also, what's the substance they're on? <laughs> what are we dealing with? But in terms of guiding, one principle I like that I do think think is mostly universal is this one of the inner healing intelligence that we Mm -hmm. talk a lot about uh, getting out of the way of the medicine and uh, in the maps training they even dish out an acronym called wait why am i talking just a reminder to the mdma therapist sometimes you just got to shut up and hold space and let the inner healing intelligence work its magic yeah. I was just going to point out as a as a point of contrast, this is how you guide in medicine. A milligram of lorazepam or 2.5 milligrams of saffirus, that'll guide you out of there. But mm-hmm. I'm not suggesting that's, obviously that's like antithetical to everything we're talking about, but that's yeah. why the reason I bring that up is because it's the exact opposite, right? Because if you're contrasting this to the just modern medicine, what do you do when someone's totally at that moment of, suffering and confusion squash it squash it immediately here's here's that syringe right there and and that will successfully pull you out but it it won't complete the whole process which we're trying to understand and explore here and it's just sad in medicine that we don't always have that opportunity to to really allow ourselves to get down to that to that point that i think is so essential to get down to yeah i think if if you look at ketamine clinics for example some have anti-agitation meds like IV midazolam to throw in the mix and some do not many do not like there are things you need for safety but that's one whether you have it or not some clinics do not use it do not need it and some turn to it very quickly but I'm much more in favor of the approach as well of of let's work on our skills in trip sitting Uh, holding space, the set and setting, and the guiding through the experience so we don't need to um, intervene in that way. Yeah, I I can can think of several different people I've worked with in their ketamine journeys where, I mean, it looked like they were in the dark night of their soul. And if I was unfamiliar with the process, I might have been panicking too and thinking, I need need Valium for this person. Like, I need to get them out of this. Um, But because I was familiar and because I was trained, I could offer a little bit of guidance. I could offer a lot of bit of support. And those experiences became touchstones for those clients. You know, it was, it was that ketamine experience um, that was the most transformative for them, not the ones where they were just, you know, floating around in outer space with, you know, Teletubbies or whatever people experience. From well, breakdown to breakthrough. Yeah, I love that. I love I, that. I'd be curious to get you. You guys can pass judgment on me right now. This, too late. This oh, is yeah. the opposite of the mindfulness. I want judgment. So I, I, I do remember having a patient. This would be earlier on, uh, who's having a bad trip, 
really struggling and my approach was you know I went and talked with her it's a little bit different again in clinic because I am doing a lot more noise management so I don't always have the best opportunities to just hold space sometimes so it was more I'm coming in there to rescue her and I'll admit that was kind of the agenda Uh, and a lot of it was you know she was able to talk a little bit so how are you doing she's like I'm just confused and I'm lost Mm -hmm. yeah and so I pulled out the the old Peter Pan method of go to your happy place I guess there's also happy Gilmore to go back to that but (laughs) you know what's your happy thought like bring him to a point that was able to anchor her yeah. Um, and and then I just said, okay, I want you to kind of hold to that thought and 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 look at that. And at least in that case, it, at that moment, she's like, oh yeah, the she just remembered being up in the mountains. She's like, I can see them now, and I'm there. Yeah. Thank you. And then just kind of went back there out there. Go. Is that too much to like push on people in times? I mean, may, and again, yeah. there's a, there's an infinite amount of situations. So no maybe. judgment because you're. You're dishing out a principle from somatic experiencing that I really like called pendulation of, of uh, you know, it, it ties into the polyvagal theory that we like to get into a lot in trauma work. But the idea of uh, going into the calm states, leaning back into the difficult ones, because you're, you're pushing through, but you can't go outside of your window of tolerance and completely lose it. Um, that's part of, I think, the important process is uh, leaning in and going through uh, to the best of your abilities and taking all the time it needs to get there. Mm-hmm. So. Is that yeah. too much, you think, to, to push on people? Yeah, I'm, I'm offended by your story. <laughs> I'm disgusted by it. No, not at all. I think, um, I mean, another way you do that is through really good preparation. Uh, you can't describe to somebody what it feels like to be on ketamine it, it, completely accurately, right? It's like trying to describe what salt tastes like or what the, the color blue looks like to somebody who's never had sight. So there's only so much you can do to prepare them for what they're going to experience, but you can give them strategies. So if you had done a guided imagery, for example, a couple of sessions of her finding her happy place so that she's greased the grooves to get there, then you know she's in her experience. You tell her to go to her happy place. She's able to go there really useful. We do the same with, um, you know, you can do tapping or you can do certain breathing exercises where you correlate this sensation with safety. And if you feel like you need to pendulate, you need to, you know, get them back to, um, a place of calm and peace and safety, then you can use already trained skills to get there. So is there any correlate to that? in like the ayahuasca where they'll be like, okay, you're you're yeah. really struggling right now. I want you to think of this thing or go to this place. It's the music, yeah. They use the song a lot. You know that the the, uh, mm-hmm. the shamans in the medicine and they are singing the healing into the people that are present. And a change in the song can completely alter the experience. Mm-hmm. Or they can come with you know um, other implements or other ways to minister each to each person and can definitely alter and shape the experience. Yeah. I was uh, doing some group ketamine work uh, a while back, and this one gal in the group had some trauma come up that she'd never shared, and she was deep in her experience, so she was a bit confused and uh, kind of re-experiencing that. And so as I approached, you know, I made sure I was um, tuned into that energy because... Uh, as I approached, I, it became clear that 
a male approaching at that moment with her re-experiencing was not ideal. So I got the nurse who was there with me to go off for support and comfort. And then uh, I was able to join them. And after uh, a little bit of uh, exploration with her there, uh, a little bit of guiding, the next step was, uh, let's change the song. Like, okay, we're going on to the next chapter of this. Uh, And it it was effective in that situation. I think... Yeah, I, I'm glad that you brought up the song because that's actually what popped in my mind because the song is something that you use to, to actually help ground you. And I've had that a few times. I think sometimes when we set intentions with patients that that can also be a grounding thing that you can go back to. Yeah. Where it's, again, something that's pre-established. It's not something that I'm like, this is the intention I'm forcing on you. So that's why it's nice when you've already pre-established that. Mm-hmm. So, it's an anchor. So, yeah. yeah. So you can pre-establish an intention, and sometimes even just like, a, you can pre-establish what that happy place is. Um, I think I remember now, like just a couple weeks ago, I had a guy first time having ketamine, and he was really struggling and kind of tried to do that. And um, I think he went back to like, we would just, we, I was sitting with him, and we just kept saying like three words, <laughs> like breathe, I'm safe. And then I think it was like the name of his girlfriend at the time. And we mm-hmm. just kept saying those over and over and over like a mantra. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was much more preferable to the screaming. But again, at the end of that, that was really, really helpful for him to be able to go back to each one of those things that, again, had somewhat been established by him, not by me, to help ground. Mm-hmm. And then little victories in the ketamine room turn into big ones in life, like learning these skills that come in pretty handy when you're dysregulated triggered out there in the world Mm -hmm. but honestly every time i do that i do have that voice in my head like should i just be sitting with this more should i just be letting the the emotion flow the fear and just not not trying to because i always feel there is that agenda of trying to save them and pull them out of that i don't know if you feel that at times or it's a totally valid question i think you're doing what the only thing to do there is check into your intuition, feel into this shared experience as we're walking each other home through this journey. And is it time to intervene? Yes, no. Is it time to move on to the next song? Is it time to move to a happy place? Um, and that's where you trust you, the wisdom you know, of your experience. And you're, you know, there are things that will inform that wisdom. Your training will inform that wisdom. Your experience guiding people through medicine will inform that wisdom. And then um, how much or whether or not you've done your own work. Because sometimes your discomfort with where somebody is in their journey is your discomfort, right? So, But if you've had enough experience and you've seen, okay, I've seen people at this place and I've seen them after this place, it's been okay. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Or I've, I've, I've seen this happen in me before when somebody gets to this place. I know that's a, that's my stuff, not their stuff. Um, but I only know that because of repetition and experience. There's only so much we can give people uh, in a training environment. Like there's like there's only so many ways I can say, you know, trust the inner healing intelligence and um, you know hold space for people. Uh, there's really no good substitute for doing it. Yeah, with mentorship, with yeah. uh, experience, and putting in the work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Is there uh, anything else as we wrap up that you think is important for our listeners to know about trip sitting, guiding, useful skills, important points? What comes to mind 
for me is just, uh, you know, on the airplanes, they remind you put on your own oxygen mask first. Mm -hmm. Uh, That might be a helpful visual or metaphor as you go into helping someone of, of make sure you're grounded, make sure, you know, your mental state, your energy, your set setting is okay. And then go in with that compassionate abiding presence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It makes all the difference. Just, just reemphasize patience and presence and how powerful those really are. Um, yeah, when I brought up that example of should I be letting them just experience more suffering? I don't know if that's like my <laughs> dark inner shaman's like just send them out into the wolves and let the let the jungle be their guide and, and not me. But um, you, I don't think that you really do go wrong if you're just you know simply just being with somebody, whether it's yeah. that hand on a shoulder. Just I, th- I mean, sometimes even people just sense that you're sitting next to them. You know, it doesn't take mm-hmm. much, and that that really can make a huge difference. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think the things that draw people like us to the helping professions aren't sadism. Like we don't love mm-hmm. seeing people suffer. Yeah, we want to help people. We want people to you know be happy and to be at peace, to be joyful. Um, but sometimes the only way out is through, and it uh, it it's an act of compassion to let somebody go through their process. And sometimes that process is a struggle. So approaching their process with compassion and presence and, you know, the courage to be with them um, to establish that trust is I think an important way to do it. So thanks everybody. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Psychedelic therapy frontiers is brought to you by Nova mind a mental health company that specializes in psychedelic medicine and research. You can learn more about Novamind's mission to increase access to legal, safe, and evidence-based psychedelic medicine at novamind.ca. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen or watch. Also, if you're feeling generous today, please leave us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. This will help us get into the ears and faces of more people and help us put wind in the sails of the psychedelic medicine renaissance. Thanks for listening. Hey listeners, it's Steve Thayer here, letting you know that Numinous offers unique training opportunities for mental health practitioners to develop their skills and expertise in offering psychedelic-assisted therapy to clients. These courses are carefully crafted by Numinous professionals like myself, Reed, Joe, and others and offer a variety of high-quality learning experiences. So if you would like to learn more about these trainings, you can find the link in the show notes below, or you can visit numinous.com forward slash training. That's numinous.com forward slash training. The content of this podcast does not constitute medical advice or mental health treatment. Consult with a medical or mental health professional if you believe you are in need of mental health treatment.